I'm going to speak to you tonight on what's really important. I was walking down Bold Street one day and saw this young man who was a bit bewildered. He looked completely frightened. So I talked to him and found out he was French and we went and had a chat in the cafe together. I said, have you ever been to church? He said, uh, only once. I said, where was that? He said, here in Liverpool. I said, where did you go to church? And he told me, but I'm not telling you. <laughs> I thought, that's hopeful. They preached the gospel there. And then I said, who was the preacher? And to my surprise, he knew who the preacher was. And he told me. I thought, that's hopeful. He's a man who preaches the gospel. So I said, what was the sermon about? And he said, it was about the state of industrial relations in Britain today. Well, that may be an important subject, but it's not that subject which will help you very much in your dying moment, is it? Some things are infinitely more important than that, so I'm going to talk to you about faith. The subject is faith. The word was mentioned in our reading, and we'll come to it in a minute. Faith. You've all used the word, however young you are, however old you are, you've all used this word, and when you used it, in your mind, it meant something to you. I wonder what it meant. My brother died when he was 47. There were a lot of tears in that funeral, but the tears fell down into the promises of God and were comforted there. And there was a lot of joy in that funeral. What a time of emotion that was. And afterwards a relative said to me, I wish I had a faith. But what did she mean when she used the word faith? What did she mean? I did 14 years of part-time teaching. However, some of you do full-time teaching. It's one of those mysteries of life. But I did 14 years of part-time teaching and we came to these famous parents' evenings and the parents would say again and again, uh, Mr. Olliot, we don't actually believe anything ourselves, but we would like our children to have a faith. Faith? But what did they mean? When you last used the word, what, what did you mean when you used the word faith? Well, it comes up in the reading, so please open the Bible at Ephesians chapter 2. It's on page 1674, and you'll see the word in verse 8. Just this sentence is where we're going to focus this evening. For by grace you have been saved through faith. My mother used to say to me, Stuart, you ask far too many questions. But I believe that's the right approach to the Bible. You ask the Bible questions. So let's start with this question. We're talking about faith. Why is this subject so important? I said at the beginning, here's something which is important to you. Why is this subject so important? Well, look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Did you notice three key words in that short sentence? Did you notice them? Did you notice the order in which they were found? Which one was in the middle? Which one was first? Which one was third? Have you spotted them? For by grace you have been saved through faith. What are the three key words? Well, in the middle there is saved. There are in English what we call cold words and warm words. 
So if I say grisly, or meager, or mean, or sly, or last, that's a cold word. But if I say friendly, kind, that's a warm word. And there in the middle of this sentence is a warm word, saved. A school came down in Mexico recently, didn't it? Several children, quite a lot of children, in fact, were killed. But what about those who were pulled out of the rubble? Who were saved? That's a warm word, isn't it? Miners were buried in Colombia, or I think it was, in the, in the mines. Remember them being down there for days on end, weeks on end? And at last, every one of them was brought out through that little capsule, one at a time. They were saved. That's a warm word, isn't it? I knew a man, a man who was a member of this church years ago. In the war, everyone in his brigade was killed except four. But he was rescued, saved. He didn't keep quiet about it, you know. It was wonderful to him, terrible to lose his comrades, but wonderful to him to be saved. And Paul is writing to these folk in Ephesus in the middle of the first century and is explaining to them what's happened to them because they're in a city where there's a lot of occultism, a lot of horoscopes and a lot of idolatry, but something has happened to this group of people, this growing group of people, and he's explaining in this chapter what's happened to them and he's telling them that they've been saved. Saved from what? Saved from God. That's who you're saved from. God is filled with love, you know. We'll read that in a minute. He's also filled with fury. God made the world. I live in it. He made me. The talents I have, the life I have, the person I am, except for my sin, I'm a creature of God. He's told the world how it should run. First of all, it should love him with heart and soul and mind and strength. But we don't. And secondly, so we should love each other. But when you look at the old school photos, who do you, who do you look for first? We still talk about number one, don't we? Meaning ourselves. God is angry with his creatures, especially his highest creature, men and women and boys and girls, made in a special way for a special reason. He is the everlasting, eternal God, and I and you are lawbreakers. And... We've offended the infinite God, which requires an infinite punishment, and I need to be saved from that. I need to be saved from God. And you Ephesians, to whom I'm writing, says Paul, you've been saved. All right, that was one key word. Did you notice another? For by grace you have been saved. There it is, Ephesians 2.8. We're finding out why this whole question of faith is so important. For by grace you have been saved. I never liked the word grace when I was a child. 
I had a relative called Grace and she was always grumpy. <laughs> if I'd been smart enough, I would have called her Grumpy Grace, but I would have had, a, I think, one ear rather than bigger than the other if I'd done that. But when I grew up, I realised, well, that's a warm word too, isn't it? There's the ballerina. I can't stand ballet myself, <laughs> but the, she is filled with grace, isn't she? There's, there's the people skating on the ice. What, what grace they have in their movements. It's a, it's a warm word, isn't it? But it's an even warmer word in the Bible. As long as God has been God, you know, he's been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as long as God has been God, the Father gave to God the Son millions of men and women who he was going to save. As long as God has been God, Jesus Christ has been promising that he would come into the world and live the life that they could never live, keeping God's law perfectly, loving like he should. As long as God has been God, Jesus Christ has been promising that he would bear in his infinite person the infinite punishment which was going to come to these millions of people, none of whom deserved it. It's just kindness. It's just grace. And already millions have been saved by Jesus Christ. And if the world continues to go on for much longer, there'll be even more saved won't there? Oh, I don't know how many are in God's book. I don't know how many are in his book of life. I don't know how many or who the Father gave to the Son. But in Ephesus, there were some there who had already been saved and millions have been saved since and they've all been saved by God's grace. But now let's get to the third key word. Why is this subject of faith so important? Well, look at it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all saved people have faith. All those who God has saved by grace have faith. If you haven't yet got faith, you're not yet saved. If you never have faith, you never will be saved. If you are saved, you have faith. All saved people have faith. If you're going to be saved, you'll have to have faith. If you will have faith, you will be saved. There won't be a single person in heaven who's not saved by grace. But there won't be a single person in heaven in, in heaven who during their lifetime didn't come to have faith. That's why this subject is so vital. That's why the Frenchman old Bold Street, he should have been told this. It was his one opportunity to hear how to be right with God and the preacher didn't give it to him. All saved people have faith. Well, I don't understand, says somebody. It says, by grace you've been saved. And then the next minute you're talking about the fact that you've got to have faith to be saved. I don't understand this relationship between grace and faith. Well, it's simple. So let's have a simple illustration. It's a stupid one, but a simple illustration for all that. You're out in the desert one day. Ever been in the desert? I have. Have you? Not a nice place. You've lost your way now. 
you're dehydrating. You can no longer stand up. You're crawling. All the moisture's going out of you. A few hours, you'll be dead. And then you see it. Yeah. Right there in the middle of... It's a silly illustration. Right there in the middle of the desert is a fountain. It's not an illusion. It's a real fountain, like you have in Trafalgar Square. <laughs> There's the water bubbling out, out into the sky, and you crawl up to the fountain, and you drink the water, and you're saved. Question. How did the water get to the fountain? Let's have a stop now for a moment. Let's have a pause. How did the water get to the fountain? How does the water get to any fountain? Somebody engineers it, so how does it get there? Pipe. All right, then. Now then, next question. Are you saved by the water or the pipe? You're saved by the water. But you won't be saved without the pipe. You're saved by grace. But you won't be saved without faith. You didn't like that illustration, did you? It was stupid. All right, let's take, a, let's take another one which is slightly more sensible. The, into the, pla to the platform comes the train. At the front is the locomotive. And behind is the train. The locomotive is called grace. It's God's kindness. And the train is going to heaven. But what links the train to the locomotive? Given you the answer already. Faith. Faith. Faith, all right, but if it's just a locomotive and a train, what links the two? A coupling, not a cufflink. A coupling. A link, a coupling. What gets the train to heaven? Grace does. But you won't get to heaven without the coupling. You're saved by grace through faith. Ladies and gentlemen, I like saying this, boys and girls, it is this is the reason why this subject is so important. Right, now, second question. What is faith? If, if faith is so important, what is it? Well, it's not one thing. It's not two things. It's three. It's all three. And it's always all three. First of all, faith is knowing. Of course it is. You can't have confidence in something which you've never heard of. For years, Europeans didn't believe in Australia. The Aborigines did, by the way. But the Europeans didn't believe in Australia. Why? Well, no one had discovered it. No one knew it was there. They had no knowledge. You can't trust someone 
who you don't know exists. You've got to have knowledge. And by the way, that explains why in the New Testament we hear of people teaching and preaching Jesus Christ because they're filling the minds of the hearers with knowledge. Faith is knowing, which is why some of you, all of you, are in the best possible place this evening. Because if you switch on your TV tonight, you won't know from the TV what the gospel is. And if you read the paper tomorrow, you won't know from the paper what the gospel is. And if you talk to most of your neighbours tomorrow, or if you're back at school and you listen to the teacher tomorrow, it is very unlikely that you will come to any knowing of what the gospel message is. But here, and in all Bible-believing churches, you can come to know what God's message is to men and women, because faith is knowing. But that's not all it is. Faith is believing. The gospel message says God is, and the God who is is the God of the Bible. You know the gospel says that. And faith believes it. The gospel says you're a condemned sinner and left to yourself, you're lost forever, and you know that. But you believe it. The gospel says only Jesus Christ can save you because he's God and man and only he can bring God and men together and he lived for us and died for us and rose for us and you know that and you believe it to be true. It's knowing, it's believing. But too many people stop there. There's a word for it in English. If you really want to know what the word is, it's Sandemanianism. What is it? Well done. <laughs> We're not interested in Sandemanianism. Sandemanianism thinks that faith is just knowing and believing it to be true. That's nonsense. It's knowing, believing, and trusting. I know what the gospel teaches. I believe it to be true and I entrust myself to the one who is the centre of everything that the gospel message says, who is Jesus Christ. I throw myself into his arms. I put myself in his care. I come to him. I pray to him. I worship him. I love him. I obey him and I can't keep my distance from him. That's knowing, believing, Trusting. Some people talk about blind faith. Faith isn't blind. It starts with knowledge. Some people talk about faith as if it was a vague thing. It's not a vague thing. It believes facts of which it is sure. Some people talk about faith as if it was a lazy, passive, inactive thing. It's not. It's entrusting yourself to what you know and believe. It's knowing, believing, and trusting. I wish this preacher would use a few pictures, says somebody. 
well, I'm going to use a few pictures. Not pictures, but pictures. <laughs> Let, let's start with an illustration which has been used for hundreds of years, so I didn't make it up. When you came into the room tonight, you did what I did. You sat down. You know, knowing, you know that that sort of blue charcoal-y thing is a chair. You believe that that chair can bear your weight. I looked at that chair and I thought to myself, I'm 64 kilos, 140 pounds, 10 stone. Yeah. So it's knowing and believing, but that doesn't do me any good, does it? So I entrust myself to what I know and believe. I sit on the chair, but some of you don't have much faith because you've still got your feet on the ground. You haven't, you're a good fella. <laughs> you put your whole weight on what you know and believe. Knowing, believing, trusting. They've been using that illustration for centuries and centuries. Why is it a bad illustration? Did you say it sounded all right to you? It's not actually a very good illustration, is it? Can you see why? I haven't the faintest clue who made that chair, have you? I'm not actually trusting anybody. I'm just trusting a system that people wouldn't be stupid enough to sell chairs which collapse the moment you sat on them. There'd be no market for them, would there? It's what we call system faith. We're not interested in system faith. The Bible, when it uses the word faith, doesn't use faith in that way. So we'd better change the illustration. Now, there were some Brazilian friends um, here this morning. They're here this evening. So I'll let's go to Brazil. Let's go to Sao Paulo. In Sao Paulo, there is this piece of concrete. It's enormous. It's probably a couple of miles long. And it's several hundred yards wide. And moving around on it are beautiful machines. What is it? There's one in Liverpool, by the way. Sorry? I can't hear what you're saying. A tunnel? <laughs> it's not a tunnel, no. It's a, it's an airport. And there are beautiful machines on it. I'll, this is off the subject for a minute, but they have to be beautiful because to fly, they obey God's laws and anything which obeys God's laws ends up being beautiful. But th that's off the subject slightly. Here's this enormous piece of concrete. Here's these machines moving around on it. And I know... So that's an aeroplane. And I believe that if I get in it, it'll take me to Manchester. So I get in it and I allow them to lock me in. And I know and believe and entrust myself to what I know and believe. Is it a good illustration? Well, it's better than the last one because I am actually trusting a pilot, but hardly ever have I ever met the pilot. The very first time I went in an aeroplane, the pilot actually came walking down the aisle, which terrified me because I had no idea that there was a co-pilot. 
But I am actually there trusting a system, but I'm also trusting a person, but I'm trusting a person without knowing him. But we're getting there slowly. Knowing, believing, trusting. Let's, let's move to a slightly better illustration, but they're not good, you know, these illustrations, are they, really? My wife learned to drive. The boys were sure that she'd bribe the examiner because, <laughs> because she passed on the first attempt. But uh, I know that she learned to drive and I know that she passed the test and I came to the point where I could believe that she, she could drive. So I know and I believe and I get in the seat beside her and probably pray a bit more than normal but I know and believe and entrust myself to someone whom I love. That's okay, except it doesn't actually bring home the seriousness of what we're talking about tonight. So let's move to something a bit better than that. The lady comes home from the consultant doctor's surgery with the worst possible news. But she's calm and she's quiet because she knows that her husband, who's also a doctor, has been researching this particular problem for years. She knows that the cure that he's come up with works. She believes that what's worked for others will work for her. So to save her life, she acts on what she knows and believes and entrusts herself entirely to the one she's come to love. That's a better illustration. And Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through knowing, believing, trusting. Third question. Why did Paul write this? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Why didn't he write? For by grace you have been saved through prayer. Or for by grace you have been saved through love. Or for by grace you have been saved through church going. Or for by grace you have been saved through good intentions. Or for by grace you have been saved through right living. Why is faith chosen as the channel of salvation? Why did he write, for by grace you have been saved through faith? Why faith? When we leave Belvedere Academy this evening, sitting outside there will be a beggar. Um, this is an illustration, it probably won't happen actually. 
There's a beggar. Mike hasn't let him in, but he's sitting outside, just outside the door, and he's begging. And you've had a good Christmas, and you're quite happy with the way things have gone, and to celebrate going back to school tomorrow, or whatever you're going to do this week, you decide that you'll give the beggar five pounds. Question. Where will you put the money? Because he hasn't put a hat down on the ground, or a box, or a tin, or a piece of anything. He's just sitting there begging. Where will you put the money? In his foot? On his foot? In his hand. Because there is a physical faculty which God has created which takes things and holds them. It doesn't make the gift. It doesn't change the gift. It doesn't alter the gift. It doesn't improve the gift. It just receives the gift. <coughs> and there's a spiritual faculty which God has created which doesn't make the gift or alter the gift or improve the gift, but just receives the gift and holds it. Faith is a spiritual hand. Now then, you've given the man five pounds. He saw you give it. He's holding it in his hand. What does he do next? Puts it in his pocket. I don't like this beggar. Don't like the one you've seen anyway. He says thank you. He says thank you. He doesn't say, oh, I'm glad I've got a hand. What a marvellous hand this is. What a strong hand. Like these people on the TV who say, oh, I'm so glad I've got faith. I'm so pleased I've got a faith. I believe I've got a strong faith. When you hear people talk like that, you're not hearing a Christian talk. He receives the gift. He doesn't even look at the hand. And he looks up at the giver and says, thank you. Because faith is all that it is, is a hand which receives the gift. But the praise goes to the giver not the hand. If we were saved by love or prayer or good works or right living or good intentions, there would be some merit, some congratulation for us. But with faith we simply receive what God has given and we thank God and his grace. But God is the giver of faith. Let's go on with the verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And if that was not true, faith would get you nowhere. It's because faith is God's gift that you're saved through faith. Let me explain. When I went out with my wife the first time 
one of the questions she asked me, amongst many others, was, is there anything you particularly don't like? I said, well, yeah, I don't like picnics. So the second time we went out, we went on a picnic. <laughs> so my illustration is to do with picnics. You're on a picnic, just you, a married couple, and two children, you're away on a picnic. There it is, it's a lovely summer's day. Can you imagine that in January now? A lovely summer's day. You've put down the rug on the ground. You've eaten. You've had something to drink. You've had a lot of friendly talk. Dad's feeling a bit snoozy. Mum has thinking about something or other. And then it all goes quiet. And you ask, where's the children? Where's John? Where's Mary? Where are they? At the bottom of the field is a wood, and in the wood is a river, a fast-flowing river. Very fast-flowing, and half a mile downstream actually is a terrible waterfall. Anything that flows down the river is going to be propelled over this waterfall. But where are the children? Have they gone into the wood? No. Have they fallen in the river? So you rush down, both of you, into the wood, there's the river, and sure enough, both of them, yes, both of them are in the water. And John says, don't worry, Dad, I'm all right, look at me. And he's holding on to a great big log. Is he safe? A few minutes from now, we'll be over that waterfall and he'll be dead. Some of you, by the way, possibly are like that. You think you're holding on to something really solid, but it's no good. It's no good. Well, if I can't save the boy, maybe we can save Mary. But what can we do? She's floundering around in the water. She can't swim to the bank. It's too dangerous to dive in to try and get her. What can we do? And as you run down the side of the river, trying to keep pace with her, you suddenly see a piece of string which a farmer has left on the side of the river. So you get the piece of string and you throw it out to Mary, and making sure you've got hold of this end. And, and after a few tries, she gets hold of the end of it and little by little, little by little, with a piece of string, you're able to pull her to the bank. And she is saved. One is lost by holding on to something solid, and one is saved by a little thin piece of string. Because the only thing that will save you and bring you to the bank is what comes from the bank. And the only thing that will get you to heaven is what comes from heaven. And faith, knowing, believing and trusting comes from heaven. It is God's gift. So we've answered three questions. Why is this subject so important? What is faith? Why is faith chosen as the means of salvation? Now we're going to finish with a fourth question. How can I obtain faith? Well, it's knowing. 
So as I said earlier, you're in the right place. It's important to read the Bible, but it's a hundred thousand times more important to hear the Bible preached. <coughs> Something happens in the preaching of the word which does not happen in the same way in the reading of the word. So you're in the right place. This is the place to get to know the gospel. But some of you have known it since the moment you came into the world because you've been coming here regularly ever since. Knowing. Believing. If you know something to be true, believe it. This is how you obtain faith. You say, well, I know that's true. I'm not sure about that, fine. Well, believe what you already know to be true because Jesus says to him who has, more will be given. But you say, I don't think I can believe that. I can believe that, but I can't believe that. Then perhaps you could pray a prayer that someone prayed once to Jesus when he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But you should know this, that there are some things which are true, this is true in life, there are some things which are true even though you cannot possibly see you will ever believe them. Like the Swiss teenager who met the teenager from the Central African Republic and they got talking and they, being young people, they started talking about Sport. So the Swiss fellow said, what sport do you play in the Central African Republic? And they said, oh, we play football. We don't have boots like you have in Europe, but we play football. We clear a bit of forest and we kick a ball around and we've got some quite good football players. What sports do you play in Switzerland? Oh, well, we play hockey. Where do you play hockey? Well, we don't play it all the year round. We play it January, February, March, sometimes in December. Uh, yeah, but where do you play it? We play on the ponds and on the rivers. And at that point, the fellow from the Central African Republic thinks he's met a lunatic. You play hockey on the ponds and on the rivers? It seems completely unbelievable. Until, of course, one day, he ends up in Switzerland in February, and there, sure enough, on the ponds and on the rivers, they're playing hockey. You call it ice hockey, but they don't. They just call it hockey. There are some things in the gospel which to you will seem completely unbelievable. But believe what you know to be true. Say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And sometimes it'll happen to you like this. You'll say, that's not true. And then a little later you'll say, it might be true. And then a little later you'll say, it seems to be true. And a little later you'll say, it is true. 
because God never lets down someone who's seeking the truth. It's knowing, it's believing, but you can't stop there. We learned a little earlier about Sandemanianism. I wish I'd never mentioned it now. I don't want you even to know the word, but you know it now. Knowing, believing, that's not good enough. Trusting. And that's where some people have a problem. Countless times in my life folk have said to me, I know what the gospel teaches and I believe it to be true, but I just can't put my faith in Jesus Christ. I say, whatever not. He wouldn't be interested in a person like me. There was a man in Scotland years ago who had that problem. But fortunately he had a, a Christian foreman in the factory where he worked. And the foreman said to him, John, he said, come round to my house on Friday after work. And this man went round to the foreman's house, rang the bell, there was no reply, rang the bell, and then slowly to the door came the foreman with an extremely angry face. He said, it's the weekend. What are you doing at my door? You know I don't like to be disturbed on the weekend. It's a moment of peace for me. What, what possessed you to come to my door? And John was a bit bewildered and he said, well, seeing you invited me, I thought I had a right to come. At that point, the foreman, who was a Christian, smiled. Say it again. Well, seeing you invited me, I thought I had a right to come. Jesus Christ says to men and women, Jesus Christ says to teenagers, Jesus Christ says to boys and girls, come to me, all you who labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me. And seeing you've been invited, you have a right to come. The question is, what's holding you back? Think about Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard of anybody like him? Ever? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, with a perfect childhood, a perfect adolescence, a perfect adulthood, resisted every temptation, was never impure, dishonest, deceitful, as holy on earth as he'd been in heaven from all eternity? Have you ever thought about the teaching of Jesus Christ, how different and how wonderful it is, and the miracles he did, how extraordinary they are, and how well witnessed? Have you thought about his death, that he died for our sins? He had none of his own. Have you thought about his resurrection? that he was seen, the disciples were changed, the grave clothes were undisturbed, and the Christian church was born? Think about Jesus Christ. What's, what's keeping you away from him? Think about what the gospel teaches about sin. You know about your sin, about eternity, about judgment, about hell, about heaven. Faith. It's time to get alone, you know, for some of you at least, to say, 
Lord, I know the gospel and I've heard it again tonight. I believe it to be true. And now I'm coming to you. Don't understand it all, but I'm coming to you. I'm entrusting myself to you for the rest of my life, for the moment of my death, for what happens between death and the resurrection. I'm entrusting myself to you for the resurrection, for I'm entrusting myself to you for the judgment, the last great judgment. I'm entrusting myself to you for eternity. I'm putting myself in your care. I'm relying on you for my safety. And you will be justified. Your sins to Christ's account, his righteousness to yours. You will be adopted. There'll be something inside you which knows you can now call God Father. You will be sanctified. God himself will come to live within you and little by little it'll become plain to you that that's what's happened. You will become increasingly conscious, conscious that God loves you. As the months and years go by, you'll feel weaker and more dependent on God and stronger as a result. You'll come to die and your body will go into the grave like everybody else's, but it will still be precious to him. But you will go immediately into the presence of Christ. You will rise from the dead at the last day with a body like Jesus Christ's body. A perfect body capable of moving in a spiritual world. You will be acquitted at the judgment even though your sins will be remembered there. But seen to be put to Jesus Christ's account. And you will hear a voice which will say, Welcome. Come into the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then you will know, like you'll never know in this world, what it actually means when it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the extraordinary truths which are taught clearly, bluntly, lovingly in your holy word. We pray that what we've heard from your word tonight may be written in our memory and it may move all of us to seek the Lord while he may be found and to call upon you while you are near. We pray you'll visit the heart of every one of us with sorrow for sin and complete confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ and the resolve and the determination to live for his pleasure. We pray it for his name's sake. Amen.